invite you to remain standing as we read from the fifth chapter of the book of Romans today. Let us hear these holy words. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of God for the people of God. We again say a word of greeting this morning to all of you. We're thankful for your presence here today in the sanctuary. We also once again say a word of greeting to those who are streaming our service and also those watching on television. We are grateful for your presence. As you can tell, obviously, over the last several weeks, and we will continue throughout the summer, we are not wearing robes, that is the clergy, it is just way too hot. And I would encourage the choir to consider doing the same thing. So it is, yes, yes. Whatever it takes to keep them happy, whatever it takes. It is hot, it is summertime, and please feel free to just casually, as a part of our services of worship, we'll get those who desperately want us to be wearing robes, we'll do that when the fall rolls around once again. But we do want you to feel free to dress very casually. We also want to remind you that as we go through the summer months, traditionally in the life of any church I've ever served and any church I've ever heard of, for that matter, church finances tend to dry up. We had a terrible financial May. As we go into June, we need your financial support, you all. We have reserves, but they're quickly being depleted. And one of the things that oftentimes happens in a church where people have means is that they go on vacation, they step away, they have a good time, and for whatever reason, oftentimes the church is forgotten. We're asking you not to forget Pulaski Heights this summer. We need your resources. We try to do a lot of things in the summertime we don't do during the rest of the year. For example, Ozark Mission, example, Ozark Mission Project and many other opportunities that we present, Vacation Bible School, and those cost a lot of money to do those kinds of things with many other activities and ministries in which we participate. So please, we encourage you to remember Pulaski Heights and the work we are all called to do financially, particularly this summer. I want to say a special word of greeting this morning on television to Ray Rogers as she celebrates her 100th birthday. She watches uh, from Batesville. Someone said to me, John, you open up a can of worms when you start asking, saying to, happy birthday to everybody who's going to want their name mentioned on television. Listen, if you're 100 years of age, you get your birthday mentioned, okay? <laughs> so we, we celebrate her 100th birthday. Uh, it is uh, truly a blessing to be able to celebrate with her in a very special way. We also say a word of greeting to those in Conway, Hot Springs Village, Russellville, and we also, of course, want to greet those who are watching our service of worship on television. We greatly appreciate your willingness to be a part of our service of worship today. We're thankful that you are all here, whether online, on television, or certainly in person. Let us pray. O oh Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. 
Amen. Back in the 1980s, Mother Teresa boarded a commercial airplane to fly some great distance. She found her seat along with the other passengers. Word quickly spread all the way up to the pilot and co-pilot that Mother Teresa was on their plane. This was pre-9-11, as you can imagine, and after the flight took off and as they were some distance in the air, the pilot stepped out of the cockpit, having handed over the responsibility of the flight to the co-pilot. He then took the microphone and he said to everyone who obviously already knew it, we have a very special guest on this flight. It is Mother Teresa herself. I'm going to take my pilot's cap, remove it from my head, and I ask that you take up an offering, placing the money in this hat for Mother Teresa and her ministry. Now the flight was a large flight, as you can imagine, traveling internationally with Jews and Christians and Muslims and lots of non-believers flying on this particular plane. But when the cap was passed, almost everyone contributed to Mother Teresa's ministry. They collected thousands of dollars for her to take with her to support the work that she did. Now, why would that be the case? Why would people who make up all kinds of different faiths, why would non-believers help a very diminutive woman who was leaving that flight and going about her work? Because everyone appreciated and respected in their own way what this woman did. They appreciated her character. They appreciated her willingness to give her life to those who were suffering, trying to offer hope to many people who would have otherwise lived a hopeless existence all the way to death. There is something about Christian character that can create in other people a sense of hope. When we live in such a way that the reality of the resurrected Christ is an indwelling presence in us for other people to see. Even non-Christians, even non-believers appreciate that. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. The church in many ways is trying to find itself. And Paul writes, excuse me, the church at Rome. And as Paul writes to the church at Rome trying to find itself, Paul reminds them of who they are. Even in the difficulties in which they find themselves, it is a church, a fledgling group of people in Rome, the very place where Christian persecution is so extreme. How are these people going to stay together, facing all of these difficulties and all of these challenges? And yet Paul writes to them and he reminds them in the midst of their suffering, that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not shame us. Now, what does Paul mean that hope does not shame us? 
Remember the culture in which Paul found himself, and certainly in that Roman tradition. Shame and honor were a big deal. In that culture, no one wanted to be publicly shamed in any way. And to suffer publicly was to be shamed. And interestingly enough, in the culture in which these people gathered together to celebrate their faith in the resurrected Christ, they not only don't feel shame in their suffering, they in a very special way actually embrace it. Now remember too, Paul came from the Jewish tradition and as a part of the Jewish tradition, anyone who was suffering in any way must have been suffering as a result of God's punishment. In other words, they deserved it. If they suffered, it was because God was getting them back for something they had done. And yet Paul reminds the early church that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not shame us. To be shamed and to experience suffering was actually, interestingly enough, a way to embrace the faith all the more. Suffering for the faith. Paul says we boast in our hope. Our hope is that in the midst of our suffering, we believe in one who stands with us, who has suffered along with us and suffered for us. And then Paul says we glory in our sufferings. Can you imagine that? We find pleasure, not some kind of masochistic or sadistic pleasure, but an understanding that we suffer for the one who suffered for us who took upon himself all of the sin of all of humanity and died for that sin for the sake of all of us. So suddenly and dramatically in the life of the early church, suffering was not something that was to be avoided. It was something to be embraced by being a follower of Jesus Christ. People expected in some way, particularly in a Roman culture, to suffer as a result. Peter says that we are to rejoice in as much as we suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. Peter told the early church that to a group of people who had been dispersed, spread out because of their faith in our Lord. And Paul himself in 2 Corinthians is fed up with the people in the Corinthian church who are belittling him. See, when Paul writes 1 Corinthians, he says several times, I can't wait to be with you again. I'm coming to you. For whatever reason, and we don't know why, Paul is unable to come to them again. And because Paul, if you will, does not fulfill the promise they thought he made, many in the Corinthian church begin to call into question everything about Paul's authority. Is he really an apostle after all? So Paul writes what we know to be 2 Corinthians, and he defends himself. He never tells them why he can't be there. He just says he was unable to be in their presence. And then Paul says, let me tell you what I've endured for the sake of Jesus Christ. You want to call into question my apostleship? And then Paul lists all the ways in which he suffered. And at the end of that list, Paul says, and I do it to the glory of God. I give thanks for that. He was whipped numerous times and imprisoned and shipwrecked and bitten by snakes. Paul was beaten with rods. 
He endured so much suffering. And Paul says, in essence, I embrace the suffering because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not shame us. Simon Veal, the writer, said, the extreme, extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural remedy for suffering, but a supernatural use for it. Now, I would imagine, quite frankly, that most of us can look back on our lives, at least up to this point, and say, I really haven't suffered that much. I may have gone through difficulties and challenges, but I've certainly not had to deal with suffering because I follow Jesus Christ. We are fortunate we live in a country where we are able to be a people who worship freely, however we choose to worship. We all know that that's not the case worldwide. There are plenty of people, even to this day, who are suffering for the Christian faith. I read an article by a Chinese pastor who met with his people underground, if you will, in secret. They were Christians who faced death if they were found out. And what happened was, over time, as the government began to relax the rules, and those people now could more, worship more freely, and the pastor said, I have a grave concern, now listen to this, that we can worship freely. We thrived when we knew we would have to suffer. We grew, we were more intense about our faith, and now that we don't have to suffer nearly as much, my fear is that we are going to become soft Christians. I remember several years ago in another church, I actually preached a sermon about what it meant to be a soft Christian. And I simply said in my message, I think in the United States of America in many ways, and including myself, we are a soft people. Most of us in my generation or younger have not gone through some kind of collective pain. This was several years ago. I said we know people who went through the Great Depression and they suffered. We know people who went through world wars and they suffered. But we really haven't gone through anything that collectively we've all had to deal with. And then lo and behold, guess what we dealt with a couple of years ago? A pandemic and suddenly nobody was immune. Nobody was untouched. More than a million people in the United States of America have died from COVID. We all had that collective sense of fear for an extended period of time. We had an angst about what's next. Is this ever gonna end? And suddenly those of us who were soft began to be hardened a little bit. We began to realize that there are a lot of people that we know and love who are suffering right now, and we ourselves may have suffered. There are people in this church who died from COVID, people who were hospitalized. Many of us knew people who died from COVID. Suddenly, everything began to change, and we recognized that we were going to have to persevere, somehow get through this as a world, not just as a community, as an individual or a nation, but an entire world. We're not completely done with COVID, we get it, but we have persevered. And if indeed we have persevered, we have to ask ourselves, if Paul says that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character, what kind of character have we created for ourselves as we come out of this pandemic? 
In other words, what qualities do we possess individually and as a church community that enables us to be who God would have us to be? Because if we show our character, Christian character, then we provide hope for a world that in so many desperate ways needs it. We all know that. So what character is being produced in you, this Christian character? What differentiates you from other people? If, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have suffered in any way along with others, and you have persevered, and now within you resides some kind of understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds the church at Rome that the indwelling presence of Christ is a part of the makeup of who we are. Do we allow that character of Christ to shine in and through us? And the answer, at least at this point, collectively as a church, at least in the United States of America, is that we come out of a pandemic, we, just like the rest of the culture, are not much different. You can go anywhere and see help wanted signs. I want to put help wanted signs all over this church. We need help. It's not just a matter of watching the service online or on television or sitting in the sanctuary. It is actually getting up and using your hands. Allow the character of Christ living in and through you to do something. We are now in a way just like our culture. We are always in need of help. And we don't have enough of it. We can't create new ministries that need to be birthed in the life of this church or in many other churches because we are limited in the number of people who are helping. It tends to be the same people over and over again, which is not unique to the church even pre-pandemic. But if we are listening to what Paul said to the early church, that we collectively went through a period of suffering, some people more than others, I get it, but all of us felt that angst and that difficulty and that pain for an extended period of time. And we came through that. And we have persevered, and within us lies the character of Christ, and that then produces hope. What are we doing as followers of Jesus Christ with the character of Christ that can produce hope for the world? We do that individually, we do that as a church, we do that as a community. We all appreciate people who have been through some form of suffering and they don't wallow in self-pity. But something emerges from those individuals that shows courage and an inner fortitude and a faith that is compelling. My older brother Tom is a United Methodist pastor. Years ago, he had a great friendship with a young man who had a terrible disease. His bones did not ossify. That is, that his bones did not harden. So when he would move an arm, he would break a bone. When he would shift in his wheelchair, he would break a bone. He broke bones all the time, and the pain was just as severe as any of the rest of us who have hardened bones. His growth was stunted because of his condition, and he lived in a wheelchair. If anybody had any reason ever to complain every day about pain and suffering and agony in life, it was this young man. And you know what he did? Couldn't hold a job, 
So he created for himself a job, and his job was to go among teenage groups in churches and schools and other places and talk about his condition and talk about what he was doing with what God gave him to do something great for the world as best he could. And I think, my gosh, what Paul said is correct. Suffering produces perseverance. He kept plugging along when he had every reason and every right to quit. And perseverance produces character, and he had the deep-seated character of Christ. And as a result of that, it produced a hope that he was doing what God would have him to do and making a difference in the world. He died a number of years ago, as you can imagine, but he has left behind an extraordinary legacy. And I think about my own life sometimes. I have had no suffering like that. And none of you have either, not to that degree. And yet somehow in the midst of all that, he allowed the character of Christ to emerge so that there was an enduring hope for the world. Paul says that to the early church. In essence, what Paul says, I know you're going through difficulty. I know you're going through suffering and pain, and it is a direct result of following Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, don't be shamed by that. On the contrary, embrace it. It's going to make you a better Christian, a better person, and you can create this sense of hope for the world that they would not otherwise have it. That as a result of your suffering, good can emerge. For every one of us, as we go through any kind of difficulty in life, whether large or small, when we lose a loved one, when we lose a job, when a relationship is broken, when we have some kind of medical condition or anything else in life, there is a level of suffering that accompanies that. We cannot diminish that. But what we have to remind ourselves of, and what Paul says, in essence, is we never go through that alone. It's not some kind of euphoric, pie-in-the-sky mindset where if we just think it, it's going to be okay. It's not a false optimism. It is a fundamental belief that we don't go through this world by ourselves or all alone that there is one who stands with us and walks with us, and he knows the suffering because he has been there himself for the sake of all of us. If you live long enough, you're going to know pain. In some form, everybody does. We cannot escape life without it. The question becomes for us is what does the pain do for us? Does it cause us to quit, to give up, to wallow in self-pity, to resign ourselves to the fact that we're always going to be this way, or do we take whatever suffering that comes to us in whatever form it presents itself and do something with it for the greater good, offering a sense of enduring hope to a world because the one who embraces us, who suffered for us, we embrace in return and suffer for him as well. The German writer and novelist, journalist Alexander Schultz-Nietzsen got in trouble with the Russian government. He criticized them one too many times. So they placed him in a Siberian prison camp. He was there for years. He was tortured. He was starved. He was in a jail cell with no clothing in sub-freezing temperatures for extended periods of time. They tried to break him. Schultz-Nietzsche would write years later after being freed about a time when he was ready to give up. 
He couldn't take it anymore. The suffering was too great. The agony was too much. And he said he was outside with a work crew one day, and they were digging ditches. And as they were digging ditches, Schultz-Nietzsche said in his own mind, this is the day in which I give up. I am ready to die. He knew that if he stopped digging the ditches, that he would be beaten. And if he tried to resist, he would be beaten to death. So he had it all planned out. And while he was there, as they were digging the ditches, he held onto his shovel, leaned against it, and stopped working. And while he was leaning on his shovel, ready for the guards to come over and start beating him to death, Schultz Nietzsche's partner next to him, in the dirt with his shovel, drew a cross. And then as the guards quickly approached, he marked it out. And Alexander Schultz Nietzsche said in that moment, he was energized like he had never been in his whole life, that suddenly and dramatically that symbol of the cross reminded him of the one who suffered for him and that his responsibility was to persevere. So he picked up his shovel, continued to work, and the guards went about their business. He said for the rest of his life, he was reminded of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ that at some level there is a responsibility that we take on and if suffering comes in any form at any point our job is to persevere because we don't go through it alone we believe in a savior who stands with us and walks with us who has been there himself and that will produce within us this extraordinary character of Christ that enables us to stand out in a crowd to be different to look different to act different to speak differently from the rest of the world and if that be the case, then in the process of doing so, whether we fully understand it or not, that will provide hope for the world. And that hope is an enduring hope. And we will not be shamed. On the contrary, we will be embraced and we will be loved. So I hope all of us will think about what it is we can do. We're not soft people anymore. We've had our own collective pain like the people who went through the Great Depression or a world war. The world had to deal with this. And we still at some level are. But we're still here. And if we're still here, that means we have to do something with our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And within us becomes this character of Christ that needs to be sh shared with the world. We do our part. We stand tall. It is an enduring hope that we have to offer. Let's do it. Let's do it individually. Let's do it collectively as the church of Jesus Christ. Let people see the character of Christ in and through you every day. Hallelujah. Amen.